and our God, we now ask you, Lord, to help us and give us the ability to hear the things that the Holy Spirit says to us from your word. Open our eyes so that we would see. Open our hearts so that we would treasure what we are going to hear from you through the preaching of your word in our own hearts and obey them and apply them in our daily Christian walk. Bless the preaching of your word, O Lord, for the glory of your name and for the encouragement and instruction of your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. How many of you remember what I told you last Sunday about the prophet Isaiah's extra uh, bonus for his readers, for his hearers? He saves the best for last. It's amazing. You come to the book of Isaiah, especially at the end of the book, And Isaiah brings out, he brings up special uh, messages and uh, special lessons from God's word for God's people. You remember in chapter 65, verses 1 and 2, Isaiah told us that our God makes himself available to those people who have never asked for him. He makes himself available to the people who never loved him, who never wanted to worship him. In Isaiah chapter 65, uh, verse 17, uh, he tells us that God will create new heaven and new earth for his people, for them to live in that new heaven and new earth forever. That's the best. That's the best news that you would uh, ever hear in your life as a Christian. New heaven, new earth, where you will dwell with Christ in the presence of God the Father and forever. Ben just prayed for one of our um, elderly mothers at Dunwoody Pines who uh, just learned from her doctor that she will have, what, one month to live? But this is what is waiting for her, to live in the presence of God forever. Then in chapter 66, verse 1 and 2, the prophet Isaiah uh, told us, he, he told us uh, that God um, will make uh, his people to live in the new heaven and in the new earth. But who are these people? 
who are qualified for the new heaven and the new earth, those who know who God is, those who know that God is sovereign, those who know that God is transcendent, and those who tremble at his word, and those who has contrite hearts. Those people will be in his kingdom, in the new heaven and the new earth. That's why you see I told you Isaiah saves the best for last. This is our hope. This is who we are in Christ Jesus. And this is what is awaiting for us in the new heaven and the new earth. And now Isaiah, as he finishes this marvelous book, we have one more section that we need to cover, Lord willing, next Sunday. But as he finishes this marvelous book, Isaiah tells us about the birth of the church. A kind of birth that is very unusual, miraculous. The birth of the church. And he describes the church like a mother giving birth to a son, giving birth to a nation, giving birth to her children, many, many children, but without pain. She doesn't go into pain, but she still gives birth. Notice what he says. is: Before she was in labor, she gave birth. Before her pain came upon her, she delivered a son. Who has heard such a thing? Who has seen such things? Shall a land be born in one day? Shall a nation be brought forth in one moment? For as soon as Zion, this is the church, was in labor, she brought forth her children. Isn't that amazing? A mother giving birth without being in pain. What is this prophecy? What is this message? This is not only about the return of the Israelites from exile, from Babylon, to the land of promise. This prophecy goes beyond that. This prophecy goes beyond the restoration of the remnant in Israel in their own land, in the temple in Jerusalem. You remember when they returned to Jerusalem from exile in Psalm 126.1. This is how they felt. You see, they were coming back from exile. And this is what we read in Psalm 126. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. It was like a dream. They arrived to Jerusalem and they were saying to one another, Am I dreaming? Is this true? We are, really in, are we really in Israel, in Jerusalem? It was like a dream. But now it is like a birth without pain. It is even more glorious, more excellent. Not only it is like a dream, but it is like a birth of a mother without pain. 
the birth of a son, the birth of a nation, and her children, and all this as an expression of God's intimate love for His people. And how did this happen? How did this take place? Through the incarnation of Jesus Christ and the new birth of true believers in Jesus Christ. We see this in three great events in the history of God's people, in the history of redemption. First, we, we see this in God's merciful condescension. When God stoops down this eternal and great and holy and perfect God, when He stoops down, when He um, condescends from above, from His throne, and took human flesh. Secondly, we see that in the miraculous conception of Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then we see that in Jesus' mediatorial work of reconciliation. The three things that I just mentioned to you. In them, you see God's intimate love for you and I, for His people. Well, think about the first one, God's merciful condescension. Listen to Isaiah. Before, the, before she was in labor, she gave birth. Before her pain came upon her, she delivered a son. Who has heard such a thing? Who has seen such things? Shall a land be born in one day? Shall a nation be brought forth in one moment? For as soon as Zion was in labor, she brought forth her children. You see, Isaiah here in uh, verse 7 to 14, he's speaking to us about the birth of the church. The birth of the church as a result of the incarnation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this doesn't mean that this was the beginning of the church. We need to be very careful with that. Because the church has been existing from the time of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. God has his church in the garden. God had his church even at the time of Abraham and, and Noah. We, we see his children, his families gathering together, worshiping God. The church was there. But what Isaiah is telling us here is this is the, the birth of the church. And what Isaiah is saying here is the true church is not just the people of Israel in this small location. That was not God's plan. But the church had to be enlarged. The church had to include the Gentiles, you and I. When the Messiah comes, this idea of a chosen nation being only Israel is going to be shown 
what it really meant from eternity. There will be spiritual birth. There will be incarnation, the incarnation of the Son of God, by which and through which people will become new creatures in Christ Jesus. The birth of Christ, the incarnation of the Son of God. And when we think about that, then this whole idea of Israel being the chosen people of God will actually grow into people from all nations, tribes, languages, and tongues. For example, in, in Revelation chapter 7, in Revelation chapter 7, listen to what John tells us. He saw this. After this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Who are these people from all nations, tribes, and languages were standing before the throne of God and they were declaring and singing about God's salvation, saying God's salvation belongs to all people, not only just the Israelites, but also Gentiles. Do you know what this means? There would be people in the church, even today, whom God will cause them to be born again in a miraculous way through the power of the Holy Spirit in Christ Jesus. And this is the new birth that the Holy Spirit brings into people's life. And as we read in John chapter 3, sometimes... You know, we don't even see it. We don't understand it. It's like the movement of the wind. We only see the result and rejoice in it. But we don't see what the Holy Spirit and the work that he accomplishes in the hearts of unbelievers. Isn't that what Jesus told Nicodemus? Even Ben, ben reminded us about that. Nicodemus said to Jesus, how can this be? This is hard. Can a man goes back to his mother's womb and be born again? And Jesus told him, Nicodemus, this is a miracle. This is from above. This is not something that you can do or a mother can do. Or a child can do. This is the work of God. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. This is new birth from above. And no pain. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. And that, beloved, was the manifestation of God's intimate love for His people. We don't become part of the church without that intimate love of God shown to us in Jesus' Incarnation, God's merciful 
condescension toward us. And what was that? What was that um, condescension? This holy and eternal and most exalted God taking human flesh. John tells us uh, about this in John 1.14, and the Word became flesh. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw the glory of God in Christ Jesus, His Son. But also we have this beautiful description of this in 1 Timothy 3.16. Listen carefully. Great indeed, we confess the mystery of godliness. Paul calls this a mystery of godliness. Listen carefully. A mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, not just one nation, but nations, believed in the world, taken up in glory, a mystery of godliness, he calls it. What is he saying? My mind, your mind cannot comprehend this fully. I always try to explain incarnation to people. Sometimes I lose them. Sometimes they are confused. Sometimes they think I, I have mastered it. I understand it fully. And I always tell people, you know what? I am only telling you what I see in the scripture. It's a mystery, a mystery of godliness. Godliness, God becoming man. But the question is why? To demonstrate his intimate love for his people. That much God loved us. When you love a person, in order to hang out with that person, you learn how to like things that they like, yes? I remember the first time I came to Greenville, Dr. Curto and his wife Kathleen took me in, into their home. I was staying with them. Both of them, they like American football. I don't like it. I don't understand it. And they always go to, you know, to, to, to watch. And they buy a ticket, and Dr. Curto comes to me, you know, you know Dr. Curto, and, you know, I have a ticket for you. You will go with us. And inside of me, doesn't like it. But I, lo- I love them. You know, I love them. Uh, they are they're my family. They're my friends. So I had to adjust and like what I don't like because I, I love them. So I go and watch. You know, sometimes, you know, I lean toward Dr. Curto and ask him, are we done? Is it, is it over? Are we going home? But, you know, but I, 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 you know, I like what they like because I love them. Think about that. How much closer can God get to us than to take upon himself our human nature and become like one of us except sin? He expressed his intimate love for us by taking our human nature. Brothers and sisters in Christ, every time you doubt of God's love, 
Every time you become uncertain whether God loves you or not, think of incarnation. Just remind yourself about this condescension. Remind yourself how much God loved you through incarnation. Hebrews 2.17 Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God. He had to do it. He had to become human in order to become the mediator between God and his people, in order to manifest God's merciful and faithful service for his people. Notice verse 9. Shall I bring to the point of birth and not cause to bring forth, says the Lord? Shall I who cause to bring forth shut the womb, says your God? I am going to do it. For my people, I will express, I will put my intimate love for my people on display through the incarnation of my son. Notice carefully, in verse 7, before she was in labor, she gave birth. Before her pain came upon her, she delivered a son. He's talking about one specific son. Who is this son? Where does this prophecy take us? Go back to um, chapter 65 and verse 9. So I will do for my people, for, for my servants' sake, and not destroy them all. I will bring forth offspring from Jacob and from Judah, possessors of my mountains. My chosen shall possess it. My servants shall dwell there. I will bring forth offspring from Jacob. And Isaiah makes that clear for us in Isaiah 7, 14, when he prophesies it about the virgin who will give birth to a son. Isaiah 9, 6, a son has been given to us. But then in Revelation 12, brothers and sisters in Christ, we see this, this, uh, this woman, this mother, in Revelation uh, 12, 1 to 5, and a great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the, with the sun, with, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. Another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and on his heads. Seven diadems uh, swept down a third of the star, uh, a star of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when, the, when she bore her child, uh, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1,000 
260 days. Think about that. The, the church given birth to her children. Not only that, but also the incarnation. Jesus, the Son of God, being born from the Virgin to rule, to save, to redeem. God comes to us in the flesh and as a baby. Think about that. As a baby, the maker of heaven and earth, this holy, perfect God comes to us as a baby, helpless baby, needy baby, dependent. He depended upon Mary for uh, sustenance. He depended upon Mary. And you need to ask why. Why all this humiliation? God's intimate love for us. Secondly, his miraculous conception, Jesus' miraculous conception by the Holy Spirit. Isaiah in verse 8 in our text, who has heard such a thing, who has seen such things, Shall a land be born in one day? Shall a nation be brought forth in one moment? Shall I bring to the point of birth and not cause to bring forth? Shall I who cause to bring forth shut the womb, says the Lord. Rejoice with Jerusalem and be glad for her. All you love her. All you love the church. Rejoice with her. Why? Because the, the Savior will be born miraculously by the power of the Holy Spirit. The reason for the joy is God's intimate love for His children was also manifested in the work of the Holy Spirit in Jesus' conception. Another mark of God's intimate love for us. So that His Son will not inherit sin from Mary... He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit. The angel told Mary, he will be the son of God. He will be the son of God most high, holy son of God. Because Mary asked, how can this be? Who is this child? The Holy Son of God. Being conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now let me ask you this. Who is the Holy Spirit? Who is the Holy Spirit? The Bible calls the Holy Spirit the Lord and giver of life. The Lord and giver of life. John 6, uh, 63. It is the Holy Spirit who gives life. The flesh is not help at all. Who gives life? The Holy Spirit. And Jesus was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you see how God's intimate love for us was put on display? Let's think about who the Holy Spirit is. Who was it who hovered over the face of the waters in creation? The Holy Spirit who knits us together in our mother's womb, the Holy Spirit. 
who needed Jesus in the womb of Mary, the Holy Spirit. It was the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit played this marvelous role in the incarnation of the Son of God in the birth of Jesus Christ. You and I can be part of the true church through the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ. If Jesus was not incarnate, we have no hope. We will not enter into the membership of Christ's true church. But he became human. He took human flesh, died for us on the cross through the power of the Holy Spirit. We were born again unto new life, Romans 6, 4, Romans 8, 11 talks about the importance of having new life through the power of the Holy Spirit. We were born into a newness of life through the power of the Holy Spirit. Notice verse 10 and 11. Rejoice with Jerusalem. Be glad for her, for the church, all you who love her. Do you love the church? Rejoice with the church of Jesus Christ. All you who mourn over her. I want us to pause here. Not only you who love the church, rejoice with her, but also you who mourn over the church. And you and I, from time to time, we, we mourn over the church. We mourn over where the church is today. The church compromising. The church being afraid to call sin, sin. The church encouraging people to attend transgender weddings. We mourn over the church, yes? But Isaiah is saying, you who love the church, you who mourn over the church, rejoice because there is hope for the church of Jesus Christ. What hope? People will be born again in the church. People will hear the message of the gospel, which is the power of God unto salvation, and they will be converted, they will be saved. You will see people in the church about whom you have never prayed. You will see people in the church whom you, have, you never knew, never met. It would be a lie, like a mother giving birth without pain. And you will say, where was this person? I didn't pray for this person. How did he end up here? The Holy Spirit. And to new life. I'm sure this has happened to you many times in the church. It would be the work of the Holy Spirit. Unto the newness of life. And then lastly, Jesus' meditorial work of reconciliation. Think about God coming down to the earth to take human flesh. 
as the expression and manifestation of his intimate love for us. Think about God causing the conception of his son by the power of the Holy Spirit. Another mark of his intimate love for us. But then his son's meditorial work of reconciliation. Verse uh, 12. Uh, verse 12. For thus says the Lord, Behold, I will extend peace to her, to the church, people in the church. I will extend peace to her like a river, and the glory of the nations like an overflowing stream. You shall nurse, you shall be carried upon her hip and bounced upon her knees as one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you. You shall be comforted in Jerusalem. I don't know how many of us see the church as a place of comfort. You know, I have experienced that. I remember coming to Greenville the first time without my wife, without my children, feeling miserable, abandoned. And I saw many hands at Covenant OPC in Taylor, South Carolina, many hands embracing me in the church. You know what happened? I was comforted in the church by Zion. I was comforted. I couldn't wait to give my wife a call and tell her what happened. How many people in the church were praying for her and my children? And what the deacons were doing for us? Because I came empty hand I lost everything I had back home. We had to flee. But we flee to the church for comfort. You see, this is one of the things that you and I sometimes neglect and forget who the church is for us. What divine benefits we have in the church. What it means for you to meet with your pastor, with your elder, with your deacon. It's a means of grace by which and through which you will be comforted. There is no other way. Outside of the church, you will not be comforted. In the church, you will be comforted because that's where the God of comfort placed comfort for his people. And what brings this to the church? Incarnation. Jesus' work of reconciliation. Listen to Isaiah. Behold, I will extend peace to her. Romans 5.1, Paul says, Therefore, since you have been justified by faith, then you have peace with God through his Son, Jesus Christ. This is his meditorial work. We have been saved through Jesus' meditorial work. He stood before holy God and sinners. Paul tells us in, in the epistle to, to Corinth, he tells us when Jesus died on the cross, the Father was reconciling himself with the world. 
That was the work of reconciliation. This is Jesus' meditorial work. Not only for salvation, but also for our justification, for our sanctification, for our adoption, for our glorification. will not be glorified in heaven without being in Christ Jesus and without his meditorial work on our behalf. Sometimes we think his meditorial work uh, has come to an end when he died on the cross. But remember, he's in heaven, sitting at the right hand of his father, doing what? Interceding for us. Think about your own prayers tonight. You know, how many times before you go to bed, you start praying, and then you went to sleep? You didn't finish your prayer. Who finishes your prayer? Jesus, your intercessor. The Holy Spirit, your intercessor. You're gone. You're sleeping. But you have Jesus. How many times you have thought, oh, my prayer was terrible. I shouldn't pray a prayer like this ever again. No. Brothers and sisters in Christ, Jesus will perfect it for you. He stands before the Father on your behalf. He's your advocate. He's your intercessor. You see, you see the benefit of his meritorial work. What about worship? Who makes our worship perfect? Do you think I make it perfect standing in the pulpit? No. Far from the truth. Jesus, the leader of God's worship, makes it perfect. That's why we pray in the name of Christ. That's why we worship the Father through Christ. Jesus in John 14, 13 said, If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. So how do we worship as God's people? We worship being in Christ. We worship through Christ. And we worship with the aid of the Holy Spirit. But Christ is at the center. We pray through him. We worship in him and through him. So let's bring all this home tonight. Think about God condescending to us to take our human nature. Except sin. Intimate love. Think about your Savior being born in a manger. Depending on Mary. Merely human for sustenance. God's intimate love for us. And then think about his meditorial work on your behalf. Not only his death on the cross, but what he continues to do on our behalf. And that's why you see Isaiah is telling us here, there is hope for the church. Not only with new births, but the church, like how Martin Luther put it in his, in his hymn, the church 
will prevail. Ah, yes, sometimes we mourn. We mourn because of where we are spiritually. We mourn because we, we lack diligence, participation in the means of grace. We mourn over these things. That's a good thing to do. Let's pray about it. But let us not be in despair. Because we are not God. Our God is sitting on his throne. And here we have his intimate love for us. Being expressed through the incarnation, through the conception of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit, and through his meditorial work on our behalf. Praise be to God. Let's pray. Our gracious and heavenly Father, O oh Lord, let your people be encouraged by this message tonight. Let them fix their eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of their faith. O oh Lord, yes, we mourn. Sometimes we mourn over the spiritual condition of your church. But we also have hope in you. Hope in your intimate love for us. So help us now to rejoice. To rejoice with Zion, with Jerusalem, not because she's perfect, not because she's free of sin and failure, but because she belongs to you. Zion belongs to you. You are our hope, and we rely on you for the well-being of your church. So, Lord, help us to, to, to take all these things into the heart. Contemplate on them, understand them, apply them in the Christian life, and share them with others. So that those who are not with us tonight will be encouraged like we have been encouraged. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's